Welcome to Guest of the Year. I'm the host. My name's Mike. Joining me today as our second ever guest setlist curator is Rob Bleedstein. Rob is a host producer on the Sirius XM Grateful Dead and Pearl Jam channels. Uh, he saw his first show in 1973 and is overall a walking, talking music encyclopedia. Welcome, Rob. Howdy. All right, today we've got five deadheads from around the country competing for a prize pack donated by Dyer on the Mountain. Dyer on the Mountain is run by an amazing woman named Jennifer, who I've been lucky enough to get to know over the past few months. She dyes all types of garments, you know, dead shirts from the community, non-dead shirts, creates her own shirts. She um, does upcycling. Uh, she gives second lives to stained or damaged clothing. She, yeah, she just does some of the best dyes out there. Uh, just incredible stuff. Thank you so much to Dyer on the Mountain. All of uh, their links will be in the show notes. As I've mentioned, every week we're going to have a different uh, prize pack provider, and each one of them is handpicked by From the Lot, at From the Lot on Instagram. That's Mason. Thanks so much to Mason and Jennifer, both. All right, here's how the game works. We'll play the first part of a Grateful Dead live track, and each contestant will use the messaging system to silently guess which year the performance is from. Contestants who are all on video chat to prevent any possibility of cheating can submit their guesses at any time during the clip or in the 10 seconds after it concludes. Whoever is furthest from the correct year is eliminated. The last two deadheads standing will have a best of three series to determine a winner. We've got our returning champion James here with us, and we'll meet the rest of the deadheads in a moment. But first, let's hear the first song. Without further ado, The Grateful Dead. The guesses are in. It was China Cat Sunflower at Winterland on December 29th, 1977. Rob, why'd you choose that song? It was my first Winterland show, and they brought back China Cat. That version just always sticks out. And just as we, as that portion that was played, it's just on fire. 
So, so how many winners do we have? <laughs> you know, we have uh, no winners. Uh, so we had four people guess 78 and one person guessed 72. Just a few nights before yeah. 78, there it was. <laughs> so the four people who guessed 1978 are all on to the next round. The one who guessed 72 is eliminated, sadly. Bob guessed 1978. It's Bob's birthday. Happy birthday, Bob. You are 47 and from Illinois. How'd you arrive at 78? Yeah, so it was tough, um, you know, doing the usual thing, I think, trying to trying to hear the keys a little bit um, as, as, it, as it was going. But it was a very, for me at least, kind of jarring rendition of the song um, as I was trying to place it. Um, it just I just kept creeping later and later and later and then was kind of torn between 77, 78 landed on 78 i was a couple days away i guess but it was just it was just the feel of the feel of that of that china cat um for me it just seemed and jerry's jerry's tone for sure as well uh just felt like like late 70s a lot and that's that's where i landed great happy birthday bob thanks for spending it with guests of the year thank you <laughs> and thanks rob this is awesome yeah well bob you're on in the next round and for those who I've heard the show before. We we like to ask people how they got into the dead, and we're going to keep doing that, but just on a rolling basis. So as the show goes on, we'll hear everyone's full story. But for now, Bob, thanks for being here. And joining you in the next round will be Seth, who's 42 and from Raleigh, North Carolina. Seth, you guessed 1978. Uh, why did you guess 78? Um, so kind of like what Bob was talking about, uh, was really, I was on the cusp between 77 and 78. And uh, I guess literally the song was on the cusp of 77, 78. So it made sense. But um, I always default to 78 when I'm not sure because uh, that's the year my <laughs> wife was born. So uh, it's just <laughs> like the lucky number. So I guess I got the lucky one. Perfect. You're on to the next round, uh, Seth. Derek, Thank you. you're also on the next round. Derek is 42 and he's from North Wales, Pennsylvania. Anything you want to add to the analysis there, Derek? Um, drums, obviously, Jerry's guitar. Uh, but again, you know, you're searching for the keys. It's like the keys, Donna, or is there two drummers? You know what I mean? So for me, that was uh, just the drums. I was like, is it 77 or 78? But yeah. So uh, why couldn't it have been like 79 drums? Or obviously it could have been, but what, what was distinct about 78, 77? It's not that, uh, I can't, you know what, I'm not going to be able to explain it properly, but um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a musician, I listen to the dead a lot, and I'm a drummer, and I'm just, I listen for those things, there's certain little percussive elements that you can hear, uh, you know, like if you're listening to like supplication or something, there's a lot of uh, the cowbells, there's just little things that Mickey does that you can pick up on that are just there, you know, um, I'm happy to uh, go to the next round. Okay, the last of the 78ers is Todd. He is 52, and he's from Richmond, Virginia. Todd, why'd you guess 78? For me, I feel like I can tell a lot from the, the general audio mix. So I, I just sort of pick up right away that this is the late 1970s. I can hear Keith on the piano playing uh, really, really big chords. Uh, there's just a, a, a way that the band sounds at that point really, really full uh, sounding and sort of moving on all gears. And then uh, the key for me on this one, to get it wrong apparently, uh, is Jerry Garcia's guitar tone, which is very, very sizzly, especially when he's digging in really hard, going for the higher notes. 
it's uh, I should have known that it was the fall of 77, but this goes into 78 as well. It's a classic sound for the fall of 77. And uh, uh, Rob just did a, a great job of, of picking a song uh, that was uh, that was super tricky. Sounds really great. though. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for being here. You're on in the next round, which means James, our returning champ, is eliminated. He guessed 1972. James is 32, and he's from Larkspur, California. James, what tripped you up there? Last week, I, I was not guilty of overthinking, and this time around, Rob just got me, and I was I was lost. It was like, I studied for this, man, and I was just like, <laughs> and uh, I should have spotted the guitar tone. It it must have flown right past me. I can tell this group it has a lot going for it in terms of what it's looking what it's looking for. We've got some educated ears here. Yeah, I mean, there's not much to say. I just kind of blew it. Well, thanks for doing it, James. Great run. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, Seth, Bob, Todd, and Derek are on in the next round. Rob has a great song picked out for them. Let's hear it. Okay, the guesses are in. Dark Star at Nassau Coliseum on January 10th, 1979. Rob, nice pick. Why'd you choose that one? Uh, again, some of the greatest late 70s guitar work from the Wolf and Garcia. Just the fact that they did Dark Star again after the closing Winterland, the fact that they did it at Nassau Coliseum, where this is the first night they played in six years after all the bus and bullshit and their 73 shows there. Um, and it's just an epic dark star. And then even after the, after the drums, one of this, the space segment and this thing before the warp rat is the most insane thing like ever. 
Matter of fact, that that Nassau show, the Nassau show that that Dark Star was from, was sandwiched between two Philly shows. They were all shows that got postponed from November of '78 when he lost his voice. And uh, yeah, so there was a Philly show like on January 5th and a Philly show on January 12th, and they were like blizzard, both of them, I think, going back and forth. But we did it. Oh wow! So you were at that show? You saw that Dark Star? Yes, indeed. I'm really glad I ate the shrooms at the set break. So it was <laughs> freaking perfect. <laughs> Fucking was perfect. So that's your favorite Dark Star ever? Good question. No. It's the favorite one. It's the best one I've seen. I thought, you know, well, because <laughs> Wonderland is in its, in its own world. I'll take a 69 Dark Star just because I never got to really take one in and would love to. We got four winners on this one. Uh, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so actually, Todd was closest in 1978. Uh, Todd, you are on to the next round. You are only one year off. How did you mm-hmm. figure that one out? Um, so again, I, it, it sounds a lot like 78. It's got that classic late 70s sound, in particular 78, real big, full sound. Keith is really, really sparse. Uh, on the piano, not playing a whole lot. And and uh, being 79 is the right answer. This is super tricky because Keith only played for a month or so in 1979 before they transitioned over to Brent. Uh, so uh, the guitar still sounds really, really sizzly to me in sort of a 1978 fashion. It hasn't transitioned into crispy yet uh, as, as Garcia leaves uh, uh, playing the wolf and starts to pick up Tiger and has some equipment changes later in 79 as well. So just another really excellent uh, pick and a super picky trick, a super tricky pick in there uh, as well from Rob. So uh, I feel pretty good about guessing 78 when it was only a month into 79. What, what's your trick for differentiating the Tiger and the wolf? So it's really subtle. Uh, but in this transition period uh, in uh, 1979, when Garcia stops playing uh, the wolf and picks up uh, the tiger, you can definitely hear a change. The, the wolf has a, a relatively thin sound. It's kind of sizzly again when he really digs in and plays those higher notes. Um, there's some other equipment changes that are happening around this time as well with Garcia's uh, guitar rig and his amps and his effects pedals. But when uh, the tiger comes into play. The sound is a, a little bit rounder, a little bit mellower, but it can also be quite, quite crispy as opposed to the sizzly sound of uh, the wolf. The tiger's got sort of a crisp, hard edge to it as opposed to wolf's sort of bigger sizzle. I love it. Thank you. Okay, Seth was next closest. Seth, guess 1981. Two years off, very close. Uh, Y81. Yeah, so uh, that one tricked me up too. I was, tr- I thought I heard a uh, organ um, in there, so I was thinking early, uh, early '80s, even late '70s. Um, and Jerry's tone, it almost sounded like he was, it was in the Tiger era. But um, again, I get, I think I got tripped up on that one. Go on, Rob. <laughs> 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 but um, uh, no, I mean they were just, uh, they were on point um, in that era. Um, going into the early eighties and, uh, very, I, I like the word crispy too. Very crispy. I'm starting to get hungry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. Seth, you're on to the next round. Okay. Bob guess 1975. 
the birthday guy. So he's on the next round. Derek is 74. I'm sorry you eliminated Derek. For, um, first, Bob, uh, what'd, you, uh, what'd you hear there? Oh, man, that was a total – can I say mindfuck? That was a total mindfuck. <laughs> I mean, I was – like, I was dig trying to dig in, hear the organ, hear the keys, you know, just trying to suss that out a lot. I was like, where was I with the last song? And kind of got in my, into my head a little bit around that. But I was going to say 81 – and then I was dialed in the 79 and then I was, I was like, maybe I got to back it out. Cause you could hear the two drums, you know, it was just a tough, tough, tough one for me. Um, I, I got in a little bit with into my own head and landed on 75 is kind of a safe choice, but what a great selection, Rob. Whew. Yeah, that was a great one, Rob. I think this is like a totally almost undersung, unknown dark star. People need to seek this one out. It's so great. The whole show, and it's also the last time they played St. Stephen with Keith and Donna. It's also the last time Dark Star and St. Stephen were in the same show together, I'm pretty sure. Do you have a feeling for why they shelved St. Stephen? They play like one more time in the 80s or whatever, or two more times. Yeah, because if you saw, if you listen to those, you'll see why. <laughs> <laughs> well, when, it, when it doesn't work, it doesn't work. What are you going to do? Derek, uh... I'm sorry, you, you're uh, you're eliminated because you got 74, one year off the pace. Uh, yeah, why 74? Yeah, dude, like Bob was saying, total mind fuck. Tried to get in it. The recording was uh, a little different, and I was really trying to distinguish if there was two drummers or not. And I started listening to Garcia's tone, and originally I wanted to say 78, but I couldn't get the elements that I was looking for. Todd is articulating everything awesome. Um yeah, it was just a little little bit of a guess there. Um, but a good one because there's a lot of a lot of out there dark stars in '74. Yeah, it was it was you know like I said I was really look I was really trying to like tune into the drummers or get a feel for the keys. Um, but you know it's it's nice to be challenged. We're all here to be challenged. So yeah, Rob's bringing the heat. Derek, before you go, tell us how'd you get into the dead? Yeah, how I got into the dead is that. Um, my parents uh, have always been in a band before I was born. They had a band and they were playing dead songs. And even today, they're still in a band playing dead songs. They're playing in North Wales on uh, March 11th. Uh, they've been playing dead songs forever. Um, so by osmosis, you know, I would just hear everything. And uh, like any good kid, naturally rebelled against all of it basically told them to go fuck themselves many times. Uh, not literally, but you know, it's like, it's your parents' music for a long time until you realize it's like your own little like safe spot. So uh, after uh, getting a little bit older, I started to go and see them a little bit. And, um, you know, I started to see what it meant to their friends and my family. And, you know, I have so many people around me that have seen the dead so many times. And, you know, music's kind of a, music is a religion and the dead is a church that we all like to hang out at. Um, but I especially got into it as I got a little bit older and started going to shows. Um, one thing for me that I, you know, I don't think really ever gets mentioned is like when I was younger, Sublime was cool to me and Sublime did that cover of Scarlet Begonias. That kind of opened the door a little bit to hearing it with different ears. But like I said, as I got older, started to go to shows, saw Dark Star, saw the dead further all that. And then what really kicked it into gear for me is when I uh, bought a house, I met a cool neighbor and he had a hard drive full of shows 
So I didn't have to go to the archive. I just loaded all the stuff onto my iPod. And I've spent the last eight years where we just sit around and smoke weed and talk about life and really analyze the dead and really go into drums, really go into Dark Star, really go into playing anything that's got a serious jam. And we live between 66 and 77, started doing the every day, you know, show a day thing that particular day, really, really living in it, you know, and just love the community. I love the inclusiveness of the scene. And um, can I say, man, it's the best music of all time, you know, like I, I listen to all kinds of stuff. I play in bands, but I always come back to the dead. You know, always. But uh, I really appreciate your show. And I love the, uh, the culture of the dead. And I love everybody that's that's into it and just making it all new again. Well, Derek, thanks so much for, thanks for sure. Yes. Know, all that and uh, coming on the show and uh, Hell yeah. you look like a drummer, Derek. Gotta say. <laughs> thanks man. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, right on. Seth, Todd and Bob are now fighting for two spots in a best of three series to win the Dire on the mountain prize pack. Let's see what Rob has cooked up for us here. Let's play the song. <laughs> guesses are in doing that rag at Fillmore West on February 27th 1969 Rob nice pick talk a little bit about that one uh when they invent the time machine that's where I'm going because that's the night that the majority of live dead is from as well as that doing that rag you know I only wish I could have could have seen them then awesome well we had Two people guess 1968, Seth and Todd. They're both going on to the finals. Bob, birthday guys, uh, eliminated. Well, let's start with uh, Todd here. Todd, you guessed 1968, one year off, right on it. Uh, what'd you hear? So um, clearly very early sort of garage band era dead. Uh, in in uh, sort of uh, 65, 66, maybe 67, they were playing with a real, just a reckless abandon. They were just going for it all the time. Drums are really heavy, no matter what. The vocals are kind of wavering a little bit. And then they mature, as Rob said, as they get to the live dead era towards 69. The band matures a whole lot and things get um, a lot tighter and cleaner. Uh, I didn't think it was quite as tight and clean as 1969, 
so I guessed uh, uh, 1968. I couldn't hear Jerry's guitar. Uh, this was sort of a vocal section. So maybe with some lead guitar, I could have listened for the differences between his sort of mid 60s Les Paul, Gibson Les Paul sound versus again, a crispier uh, late 60s sort of Gibson SG uh, sound. Well, joining you in the best of three series will be Seth, who also guessed 1968. Seth, anything you want to add to that breakdown? Yeah, so um, I heard two drummers, so I knew it was after 67 or 67 um, and, and obviously no Keith, so it was before 71. Um, like Todd said, the early 60s, that mid, you know, 66 to 68, um, it was really loose. Um, and this was getting towards um, starting to tighten up a bit. So I was also in the 68, 69 uh, region. And I, I, I was thinking possibly 67 and possibly 69. So I we went with 68 to be safe in the middle. <laughs> playing play the game, playing play the, the game. I don't have a ref, <laughs> that refined of an ear, so I'm I'm guessing. <laughs> well, that's that's how you that's how you advance to the finals, which you just did. Bob, happy birthday! I'm sorry I didn't end with the guest of the year victory and uh, Dyer on the Mountain prize pack. Uh, you guessed 1971. Talk us through it. Yeah, that was just a. Uh, I mean, the the pristine nature of that recording really threw me for a loop. I was trying. To, I knew it was early. Um, and I knew that 71 was kind of outlandish, but that was, again, just kind of getting into my head a little bit, like thinking, you know, man, this sounds really, really good. And is it just too good for 69? Um, and I was on 70, 70, 70. And then I kept thinking, well, what if it's like really early 71? <laughs> and that's kind of what tripped me up. But I kept coming back to 70 and then just thinking, man, this just sounds so good. That, that recording, the quality of that recording was just really, really strong. And um, just kind of tripped myself up a little bit, you know, over, overthought it and, and I was trying, trying to roll the dice knowing there's only three of us left. Uh, Rob, where did that, was that a soundboard, a taper? Um, yeah, that, did... that's, that's from there. That's from their officially released, you know, 10 CD Phil live at the Fillmore box set all from, nice. uh, you know, 227, 28 and three, which is just spectacular. And also that song never made it past 1969, I don't think. Yeah, exactly. I think you're right. Hmm. It's too bad. It's a great song. Bob, how'd you get into the dead? Uh, so started pretty early. You know, I was definitely, I think, like a touch head. You know what I mean? I was like 10 or 11 when Touch of Grey came out in grade school, like always in the classic rock. Um, really dug, really dug that song, really dove in at that point. Um I remember getting like a skeletons in the closet cassette tape uh, when I was in like eighth or ninth grade and just wearing that thing out. And then um, it's funny that th th this is where we landed with this particular out for me, at least, is because I remember I grew up outside Philadelphia, went with a friend to, to New Hope, Pennsylvania. We saw a sign tacked up to a telephone pole advertising, you know, trading tapes. And this is before we knew about like the trading tape culture. But this guy was, was just like looking for dough, I think. So we followed it. We went wound up in this attic apartment in New Hope. This guy had a bunch of these really, really crummy gen cassettes of, of early dead. And we picked up some stuff from the Fillmore that I still have it. Um, and I put it on my cassette deck every now and then. It sounds like garbage um, <laughs> nowadays, you know, but we did not know what we knew now. I mean, I think that you look back at those days where generation was everything and 
you know, once I got into the community and started learning how to trade tapes and trade CDs and stuff like that, it was just a, my mind opened and um, I got to see the dead a couple of times towards the end of their end of their run with Jerry, um, but always, always stayed up with with uh, with the various offshoots and, you know, been diving in deep with with my CD collection and now archive uh, ever since. And, you know, it's just a blessing. I think that, you know, we, we take for granted nowadays that we've got these incredibly, as we said earlier, crispy recordings of these of these uh, concerts at our fingertips. And it wasn't always that way. Um, I can attest to that. If, if I played my recording of, <laughs> of that song uh, that I first landed, landed uh, many, many years ago. Um, but that was just, it was just a great community. Uh, I love the music. I love the fact that basically every, every note, nearly every note they've ever played is, is on record and we've got access to it. It's just, it's just absolutely beautiful. Uh, do you miss the thrill of the pursuit? Did we lose anything there by the thrill, the pursuit of good tapes? You know, I don't, it's a good question. I mean, I think that there's something to it. Like it always felt good when you got like a score or you got like access to, to a really crispy recording. But I also think that that, that kind of like that, uh, created like almost an artificial cast within the community. It was like, became who you knew, um, you know, a little bit, maybe too much. And, and I think, uh, it, what, what we have now is fully democratized. And, you know, I lived down the street from a guy who taped in the late 90s and the early 90s. And, you know, it's like he's got an amazing amount of stuff, but all the stuff he's got is is available, you know, and, and that's that wasn't the fact that I've got access to him. He's a couple houses away. Doesn't change the fact that people in California can have access to what he's got. You know what I mean? And I think I think that's what's great about it now. It's just much more democratic and everybody has access to it. And and um, I, I think the better, the better the quality better the experience for all of us so god so you were aware of a upper a higher cast that of tapes that you didn't have access to back in the day well it's just hard when you when you didn't have anything to give you know what i mean when you're just trying to trying to get in you know all you had was these low gen cassettes that nobody really wanted and you know so you'd have to do all these these crazy maneuvers you know send send a whole bunch of blank cassettes to someone and a wing and a prayer that you get a bunch back and some of them will be relatively decent and uh you know, it was just a, it was just a, a process. Um, it was, there was an aspect of it that was fun. I don't want to deny that. Right. There, like you said, like kind of that scavenger hunt aspect. And when a buddy came upon something that was phenomenal, you'd all go to his house and listen to it. You know, there's something about that you can't take away, but I love the fact that at our fingertips now we've got basically the best possible one, you know, we've got seven different options to listen to sometimes nowadays with like matrix recordings and, and, and stuff like that, that it's just, it's just awesome. I, I love it. I love it. I, I wouldn't trade it. I don't think. It's really interesting. I guess this question's for Rob because Rob, you kind of saw the scene develop having gone to your first show in 73. Why couldn't someone just go out and buy the tapes from someone? It's not, not the way it was, man. Not the way. <laughs> Just no not the way it is. It was, it was the free underground tape exchange. That's how it started. So what would happen if someone just like showed up at Shakedown Street and tried to sell tapes? They get their ass kicked? Yeah. Because <laughs> the band's letting you do it. They're not asking for money for it. So how could you? It's so cool that everyone was able to like keep that you know code of honor up, even as they became you know, millions of tapes floating around and everyone kind of kept it going. That's awesome. Yeah. Unless hey. you're trying to take advantage of a couple of high school kids from Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, Bob, thank you so much. Please. Happy birthday. Have a few more Thanks. beers. It was, it was great. Awesome. Yeah, Thanks, great. Mike. Happy Thanks, birthday. Happy, happy birthday. birthday. Thanks, Bob.
This has been a crazy game. Very impressive across the board. Seth and Todd are on to a best of three series to see who wins the Dire on the Mountain prize pack. Rob has some great tunes picked out. Let's get it going. I know I wasn't close, but maybe. <laughs> you were definitely close. I don't think any either one of you guys is going to get tricked that badly. It just doesn't seem to be possible. It was morning dew at College of William & Mary on April 15th, 1978. That was a thrasher, Rob. Great pick. Talk us through that one. Uh, the only dew of 1978. And got to write the liner notes for the release of this official release a year or two ago. Dave's picks. I don't want to say the wrong number. <laughs> it could be, I think it's 30, 37, I think. Thank God there's been so many of them. But yeah, got to be there. Took a bus trip from high school with 50 other friends. It was life-changing. Great stuff. Did any other songs stand out at that show? Uh, yeah, a lot of them. All of them? <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty much all of them. They start with, the show starts with an insane Mississippi half-step and great crazy brown-eyed women in that show that's a great show okay todd guess 1978 he got it exactly Seth, guess 1980 todd you nailed it what'd you hear there so the um overall a sort of sound quality audio quality is is uh remarkably similar to the first two cuts that we heard cued me in on the late 70s uh pretty much right away and then uh, again, just a number of characteristic things about 1970. It's a year where they just killed it and they went really hard. And this sounds like when every single person in the band was just going really hard, especially the drums. Garcia's guitars got that uh, sizzle to it. Um, and it just sounds emblematic of, of, of that particular era to my ears. I could hear Keith on the keyboards. I was listening, trying to differentiate Brent versus Keith, and I heard... Keith do a couple of ring sort of things on the keyboard, which is typical of him from, from uh, that era as well. And uh, I knew that uh, 
Rob plays a lot of 1978. Rob really loves 1978. And so I just keyed right in on, on the year and, and uh, pulled it out. Well, Todd, it seems like you listen to a lot of Grateful Dead. Uh, how did you get into the dead? So at, uh, at about age 15 uh, or so, I was really uh, a kid that was into heavy metal music, Scorpions and Dio. Uh, and I uh, transitioned to a different group of friends. And, and this group of, of five or six friends introduced me to classic rock, uh, Pink Floyd, Neil Young, uh, Led Zeppelin music that I had never really paid any attention to, and ultimately uh, The Dead uh, as well. Uh, and I really took a liking to it pretty much right away. Shout out to my friend Eric Rabinowitz, who put some headphones on me one night after a long night of partying, told me to lean back. Uh, and he put on a show, which I think might have been uh, Alaska 1980. He was always pretty into that one. There's a lazy lightning uh, in there. And I listened intently for, uh, uh, for the first time ever and just fell in love. I fell in love with Jerry Garcia's uh, guitar sound and melodies. I fell in love with Bob Weir's rhythm guitar. Uh, it was it was the dual, the two guitars playing together that I had always wanted to hear. Uh, and then I, I heard the bass and then the keys and the, the two drums. And it just really uh, it just really took off uh, for me from there. Started trading tapes um, all through high school and college as much as I could. I saw the dead as soon as I could, which was in uh, early uh, 1987 at the Hampton Coliseum. Uh, and I think I ended up seeing somewhere between 50 or 75 shows uh, uh, before 1995, before Garcia's death. Every time I try and figure out how many shows I saw, I can't remember. I just can't remember <laughs> when I look at the list. Um, but yeah, it was all about friends for me. It was all about uh, a new group of friends and new music. And I just got turned on uh, uh, and loved it pretty much immediately. You know, we don't get enough Bob shout outs on the show. So I have to ask, when you put on those headphones and you really loved Bob's rhythm guitar, what were you hearing? Why did it resonate? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm a huge Bob Weir guitar uh, fan. Uh, I think Bob Weir is is, is an amazing rhythm uh, guitar player. And I might catch a whole lot of flack for saying this, but uh, Keith Richards wishes that he could play rhythm guitar like Bob Weir. Uh, Bob Weir is uh, amazing at, at sort of painting little motifs and melodies in between the lines. He's not great at maybe strumming the big chords and getting all the big you know rhythm guitar energy level up but what he does in between the other instruments in particular playing off of uh garcia's guitar work is so in the moment and in the pocket it's little plunky picky uh little lines that don't sound like anyone else that i know uh of that plays uh the the uh the the guitar and i have just always uh found his playing to be extremely unique uh, and very inspirational. You know, Bob Weir is uh, severely dyslexic and he'll talk about how songs that he writes are sort of dyslexic songs and they are. Uh, and his rhythm guitar playing sort of reveals that as well, where he's playing things that are not at all what a typical sort of rhythm guitar line might be. They're, they're very, very unique. Uh, and and I, I think uh, in many instances, they're really just tremendous musicianship. Awesome. Thanks for that. Seth, you guessed 1980. Two years off, pretty close. Why 80? 
because Rob's messing with my head, man. I didn't think he was gonna. <laughs> I didn't think he was gonna pick another late '70s show. So I'm like, you know, and all this, all the signs were there, um, and I just I second guessed myself, and I, I put '80, knowing that uh, <laughs> it was. It sounded like Keith. Um, I'm still having. I'm having a hard time for whatever reason trying to decipher uh, the keyboard sound, the piano sound, um, but it definitely sounded like Keith. Um, but I put 80 just, just in case. So uh, another guess. I guess I, I guess close. <laughs> Damn. Well, playing the game saved you the first time and cost you the second time. Seth, how did you get into the dead? Um, actually I was born into it. Uh, my parents were huge deadheads. Um, I'm 42. So I was born in, in 1980. Um, and they, uh, they moved out to Santa Barbara, um, in the seventies and, and, um, got into the, the West coast dead scene out there, um, following them around a bunch and, uh, came back. Um, I'm from Massachusetts originally. They came back to Massachusetts. Um, and uh and i was born but all their friends uh all their family they're all huge deadheads too so it was just like it was just always there i don't know life before the grateful dead so it's very lucky my father had hundreds and hundreds of bootlegs um and uh my friends had had them uh where i grew up in in massachusetts it was uh very rural and um it was that right time in the 90s i don't know if you want to call it like neo the neo hippie thing or whatever like um but these bands like black crows and spin doctors and Edie brickell started coming out so it was like everybody was putting on tie-dyes again um and that was right when i was coming of age so everything everything kind of lined up um and i i I've just, like I said, it's, I've always had the dead in my life. Um, always will have the dead in my life. And, um, uh, it's, I I've met some of the greatest people I've listened to some of the, you know, greatest, uh, DJs and, and I, I do want to give a shout out to Rob too, because, uh, going, you know, over the years, just those voices, Rob's voice, you know, David Gann's voice, David Lemieux now, just, it's like, uh, it's like going home or, or having, you know, somebody very familiar, um, you know, whether you're driving the car or sitting at home, but it's just that voice. So Rob, thanks. Uh, you put on a heck of, heck of a show. Um, you know, you, the, the shows you pick and the uh, descriptions you give, um, and that may help me, uh, win this competition. All right. Thank you. <laughs> thanks a lot. Glad you dig it. And, and now I'm, uh, I play drums as well, um, and I'm in a, uh, a Grateful Dead tribute band in uh, North Carolina. We play North Carolina, Virginia, South Carolina. Uh, the band's Bring Out Your Dead. I got to do the, the shameless plug. Your is Y-E-R. Um, so look us up on uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram. Um, we, we try our best to put on a Grateful Dead show whenever we play. So you know, we, go, uh, we got two drummers. We do the, the whole drum space thing um really try to recreate that at atmosphere um but also play play to our our own strengths and, and uh our, our own tastes um but if you ever want to see a uh somebody that that really hones in on that bob weir part uh jonas mack he's he's our rhythm guitarist check him out on some of our youtube stuff that he is he's so tied in with uh bob Weir. it's it's crazy yeah i'm sorry i didn't bring up the band earlier bring out your dead i've been watching you guys on youtube great sound Love the two drummers. Love the Monty Python reference. But yeah, actually, I was at, wanted to ask you, 
Is it difficult to coordinate rhythmically with a second drummer? And do you enjoy playing with a second drummer? So uh, people ask me that, whether I, I, I like playing with two drummers or by myself, and they both have their strengths and weaknesses. So when I'm playing with two drummers, I have the freedom to be able to color on top of what the other, you know, the, the drummer's doing. Um, so I have the freedom to open up and, and I don't have to keep, keep the beat or keep that drive going. I can just kind of paint over the top. Um, so I have that total freedom. However, uh, I'm lacked in the part where I can't really do all the intricacies because um, we're, we wouldn't be meshed up. So you, you see that with Bill prior to Mickey, where he's just loose and he's all over the place. And I think Phil even said, you know, he's like a, like a God, you know, back there playing drums. It sounded like he had eight arms and six legs um, during those seventies, uh, especially like 74. He just like, he was all over the place. Um, so he has that total freedom. So when I'm playing um, solo, you know, single drums, I have that freedom too, where I can just explore on my own and I don't have to worry about losing somebody or, you know, dragging somebody along with me or following somebody's lead too. So, um, so yeah, they both have their strengths and weaknesses. And I, I love, I love the aspects of both. I'm very lucky to do that. Not a lot of people get to play with two drummers. It's fantastic. Bring out your dead. Thanks, Seth. Uh, Bring out awesome. your dead. Uh, okay. <laughs> Todd's up one zero in the series. He needs one more to win the uh, Dire on the Mountain prize pack. Seth needs one to tie it up. Rob has a song ready for you guys. Let's play it. <laughs> I'm running the ground Blind to the light of the interstate cars Passing me by The buses and cellars Plunging like stones from a slingshot on Mars But I'm here by the road I picked up in 10,000 cafes and bars Along with the rush of the drivers that won't pick me up The highway, the moon, the clouds and the sky And the black-throated wind Keeps on playing in With its words of a lie Where nothing is new St. Louis, city of Louis. In the midst of a storm, I'd rather forget. I tried to pretend it came to an end. Cause you weren't the woman I once thought I'd met. Okay, the guesses are in. 
black-throated wind at Les Zenith in Paris, France. Les Zenith. Um, on October 27th, 1990. Rob, uh, tell us a little bit about that one. Um, sort of like a new era, another, another era in the dead, post-Brent Midland with Vince Wilnick and Bruce Hornsby up and out. And I just felt that Cherry just got completely recharged playing. I mean, Brent's loss hit him super hard. But his interaction with Bruce Hornsby, those guys were having such a blast together for a good little window there of like 1991. They were putting on some good shows, having some, having fun. I saw them with Hornsby at the Garden Run just a few weeks before that, or a month before that, and um, felt so charged from it. I was like, I got to go to Europe. So, so got to see Wembley and Lenny shows at the Zenith. It was also the first time I saw Black Thread win. So you've done a ton of jobs in the music industry, like archivist, publicist, DJ, obviously. What were you doing around the time that you went and saw those shows in Europe? It's funny. I think in 1990, I think I had a two-year span there where I think I was uh, a before-my-time dispensary provider. That's awesome. Um, I think I think that's how I spent my 1990 and I found myself in Europe. Well, Rob, you're the last one to go here. How'd you get into the dead? Uh, I got into the dead basically through hanging out at a friend's house and having an older brother and older um, my friend's older older sisters. You know, we're listening to their Grateful Dead, New Rise to Purple Sage, and Almond Brothers records. Um, really, I really uh, clung on to the New Riders early on. They were by far the band that really changed my life even before I was dead. But through knowing of the writers and their history and their association with the dead, of course, that led to hearing more dead. And so, yeah, and then was able to finally start in high school seeing them on a, you know, as regular basis as I could starting in 1977. So you host the Dead Channel on Sirius, but you also host the Pearl Jam Channel. So I wanted to ask you, as the host of the Pearl Jam channel and a Pearl Jam expert, do you think this game, Guess the Year, could work with Pearl Jam? Would it be as interesting? Uh, yeah, we've got, got, you've got enough years now where it definitely could, and they definitely have eras as well as far as some different drummers and sounds. So, yeah. I, I think I could. Cool, thanks. I've always kind of wondered that. I think it'd definitely work with Fish, but I was wondering, could it work with Pearl Jam? Seems like yes. Todd, you want to chime in? I think this game could absolutely work uh, with Pearl Jam. You know, they've got a just an absolutely rabid fan base that's super focused on live uh, releases. They've been releasing live music forever. Uh, Rob does an amazing job on Pearl Jam Radio on Sirius XM playing live cuts. I listen to him there a lot. I listen to him uh, every day on the dead. Uh, 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 the Grateful Dead station on Sirius XM as well. Rob does an amazing job. And I, I just think uh, with with the fan base that they have and their allegiance to live recordings, I think you could make this work with Pearl Jam. Okay, well, I will stop being a little punk and keeping people on the edge of their seats. Seth guessed 1988, Todd guessed 1991. So Todd, 
is the new champ of guest of the year. Congratulations, Todd. That was an impressive Congrats. display. Nice. Thank Good you. Good job, awesome. Todd. How'd you figure that out? You're one year off. How'd you figure it out? You know, right away, I could hear that it was sort of the, the modern era of the dead uh, in the, uh, certainly in the, into the nineties. Um, I, I was listening for two keyboards. I could definitely hear Vince Wellnick sort of real light twinkly uh, uh, keys in there. And I was listening for uh, Bruce Hornsby as well. Uh, somebody earlier said it's been hard to sort of find the keys in some of the recordings that we're listening to. I totally agree. I thought I heard Bruce. Then I thought I didn't hear Bruce. And eventually I decided I did uh, did hear Bruce Hornsby. Uh, and I know that's in the early 90s uh, as well. Um, you know, the, the bass during this era, uh, uh, 90, 91, and that's what I wrote down was 90 or 91. The bass during this era is big and thick and plunky and, and round. And I thought I heard that as well. Uh, but, you know, uh, at the end of the day, I ended up saying uh, 91 because uh, the 1990 post Brent era is very, very brief. Uh, it's just sort of the, the end of the fall of 1990. So I've got a, a bigger, bigger set of possibilities if I choose uh, 1991. Uh, and so that's what I went for. Yeah, 91 definitely makes more sense for, for this game, playing the game. Seth, thank you so much for playing the game. You had a great run. And you guessed 1988 on this one. What would you hear there? So, um, again, yeah, I agree. It's really, it was really tough to hear the keyboards. And I, I think I've been struggling with that throughout the whole game. So um, that's been a challenge. I couldn't decipher if there was Bruce or, or Vince in there. And I thought I heard a little Brent flourish and I was thinking, um, definitely not as refined as the 90 tour, um, and even 88, I mean, 89. So I was thinking 88, um, somewhere in that, that late eighties period, which is such a, uh, that's like a guessing game, trying to, to trying to figure out those late 80 shows or the years. So. Um, but yeah, that's why I picked 88 and, uh, good job, Todd. That was a good game. Thank you, Seth. It was super, uh, super fun going head to head, uh, against you guys and just awesome playing with everybody, uh, here today. A great, great crew. Super fun. Really appreciate it. Really impressive run by you, Todd. Very impressive run by you too, Seth. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for, for being here. It was really special for the show and for all of us. Uh, amazing picks. Thanks so much. Thanks. It was good to be here and good to, you know, turn folks on to some of these things. And I also have on that last one on the, you know, well, it's not the best example to highlight Bruce's appearance with the band, but I had to throw a weird song in there. So <laughs> great to be here. Cool show. It's great meeting you guys and hearing your, your, your stories. Thanks, Rob. Okay, subscribe to Guest the Year on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For show updates, follow us at Guest the Year Show on Instagram. And if you want to be a contestant on the show, sponsor the show, or make comments and ask questions, email us at guesttheyearshow at gmail.com. Thank you so much to Rob Bleedstein for coming on the show. Yeah, can't thank him enough. Thanks so much to Dire on the Mountain. We are very fortunate to have them be providing the prize pack for Todd today. Dyer on the Mountain just makes incredible, incredible dyes. So original, so tasteful, beautiful colors. Every single one of them feels new. Like I've never seen that tie-dye pattern before. She's amazing. Jennifer's amazing what she does. Very, very impressive. It's D-Y-E-R on the Mountain. All of her information will be in the show notes. 
and everyone should check Dire on the Mountain out. Thanks again, Jennifer. And thanks so much to From the Lot for curating the prize packs. I, I personally wouldn't be able to do it without Mason. Mason um, knows everyone and has great taste. So it's a good combination for putting together prize packs for a show like this. And I appreciate him doing it. Thanks so much from the lot. Okay, and thank you so much for listening. Also, thank you to Dylan, who draws the posters every week. If you haven't checked those out, at Guess the Year Show on Instagram, you can see all of his posters. Thanks, Dylan. And thank you to the amazing tapers whose recordings made this show possible. Congratulations to our new winner, Todd, and to our other contestants. Thanks so much for playing. And remember, it's all one song anyway. And I bet you good night. Good night. Good night. And I bet you good night. Good night. Good night.